0: Today, we have someone that doesn't need introduction at all. Gavin Halliday has been part of the core HPCC systems team since before it was even called HPCC. He's been the driving force behind the large number of components of it. And perhaps the most prominent is the ECL compiler. Uh, Gavin is a computer scientist. He's been uh, in the industry for for a very long time, and I won't make numbers, so I don't divulge his age <laughs> and my age. Um, and he um, has um, really uh, got into uh, expert or uh, highly expert level uh, of understanding on compilers and system, distributed systems, and cluster architectures. And it's a, it's really a pleasure to have Gavin here. He, uh, as I said before, he's been um, doing this for a very long time. He has um, extreme knowledge of almost every component in the HPC systems platform. And he has been also one of the driving forces behind this journey to HPC on the cloud. Uh, All of this container-based and orchestration-based and dynamic nature of HPC that you've seen as an evolution over the past few months is, uh, is coming mostly from Gavin's head. So hello, Gavin, and it's a great pleasure to have you
1: here. Hi, there. hi, Flavio. Good to be with you. Um, yeah, I, I definitely don't feel like an expert as far as the cloud goes. I think it's been an interesting journey over the past few months just trying to get our heads around how do we adopt or adapt this platform that is designed to run on lots of physical computers with reserves. Computers underneath them, and how do you get that going on the cloud? And how does that change everything? So, yeah, I don't at all profess to be an expert, but definitely learning things as we go along the way. Yeah, you're very humble. Uh, but, but Gavin, tell me a little bit more
0: about um some of uh, we have had conversations already with Richard and, and Jake, and we covered a number of areas, but I think one of the areas that we left uncovered. Uh, was um, all of the um, uh, file storage aspects of hpc in the cloud and particularly in kubernetes um all um, of the um, uh, considerations that you need to make to access this this storage distributed um index formats and other things and and certainly any of these things uh, has performance implications so we haven't covered any of those pieces either so t- tell me a little bit more if you've been working in these areas, uh, what's what's there? What's in our current version and what is coming down the
1: road? Just turn that up. Well, so the first version 7.8, really that's a proof of concept to, and the things that Richard and Jacob talked about, it was all about trying to get The structure right for building it and learning how people normally deploy systems and understanding Helm and Docker and trying to get some Helm files which fitted in with our system but also matched what the industry would expect rather than trying to adapt what we've got already and just shoehorning it into it. Um, And so they worked, but with those default Helm charts, when you brought a system up, it created some uh, persistent volume claims, some places to store the data, but as soon as you took uninstalled it, those disappeared again. So uh, that's great if you're testing the system, because you can just start from a fresh system each time. But if you're actually trying to use it to do some real work, that's not actually very useful. Um, so one of the things we've been working on is changing how that works and in fact in the recent versions of 7.8 we restructured those Helm charts a bit to separate out the way the storage is managed in a way that makes it easy to. Um, what we want to do is to be able to have you configuring the platforms in different ways so running on your local machine or on a distributed cloud environment or an enormous system and have that configuration specified, but separately be able to say, okay, but my data is going to be stored either on Azure using their files or using Blobs, or on Amazon or on Google Cloud. And they all need to configure the storage in subtly different ways. We wanted to be able to plug in different implementations of that storage into those Helm charts. So um, the recent 7.8, what is it, 7.824 contains changes to the Helm charts that restructure it, but it also contains some examples which show, okay, if you're running on your local machine, how do I get, Persistent data in, so that I can access, say, a directory on my laptop to contain my data, so that when the system goes down, it's still there. Or similarly, if you're running on Azure or AWS, how do you get that data persistent? So that's been one of the recent challenges we've been looking at.
0: So I, I am extremely curious. That's a, <laughs> that's a good starting point. But for the longest time, for decades we have been relying on storage that is distributed so uh, where no node has full view of the entire storage space other than through the api the underlying api of the hpc system right um yeah. and i know that the cloud gives you the ability to have this sort of uh, share global shared storage uh, so is the idea of, of to keep those file parts still uh, independent from each node Uh, Is it uh, the idea to merge them in some way? Is it the idea to uh, interleave the uh, access to these file parts across the different worker uh, threads in the different Kubernetes uh, pods? I'm just, uh, I don't, there there seem to be so many uh, possibilities
1: there that it's. uh... Yeah, so. And I think there isn't a single answer either. So. I think the idea of retaining separate file parts is going to stay because that's a very useful granularity for both processing and writing out data files. If you've got 50 nodes generating data, you don't want them generating to a single file, you do want them generating to 50 different files. Um, So that's true, but how that maps to the underlying file system really is debatable so you could have it that all of the machines mounted one logical like a nas drive effectively they all just go through the same service and read data or you could have it that they each have a specific node map or specific data storage item mounted onto them so they can only access one part of it or you could mount um, 20 different storage nodes and the data gets spread over that in some way so now the way we've done it at the moment effectively maps a single drive onto the local node and they're all storing it in the same place but further down the road, I definitely expect us to support um, other ways of doing it as well. Um, Because you may want it for throughput. Um, Each of these storage devices has got limited throughput. So if you're maxing that out, you're going to have to have multiple ones being accessed from a single Thor cluster. Um, And the different platform uh, cloud providers have different functionality and characteristics on their storage devices as well, so. um, Azure, for example, allows you to mount one that's accessible from multiple. um, Nodes AWS you don't you might set up an NFS server instead that that's got exclusive access, but the other uh, nodes actually access it through the NFS server so. um, A different and of course there's the other option which the different cloud providers have got of using blob storage which works quite differently so whether that's azure blobs or aws buckets um, they don't have a filing system they're not uh, mapped as block storage or something like that on your local machine and they've got a different api for accessing them now reason for using them is cost generally they cost half or a quarter the price of the other storage so if you're storing storing large amounts of data volume you want to be using it if you can Um, but they've got different characteristics so how do we integrate those into the platform as well so uh, that's that's very good okay good
0: so um, let me just say Drill deeper into um, just one particular aspect of uh, of one of the um, uh, functions of HPCC, uh, and I'm thinking now of a Thor system that is trying to do a global sort. So nodes in the past used to hand hold um, the other nodes when they were trying to so they were looking at the data they have and their own partition had data that was destined to some other node, so they would. Uh, get the data in some place, uh, then uh, we collect the data from that place, uh, try to communicate to the other node, transfer the data to the other node, the other node will receive that piece of data, and then eventually we put in some spill file that would be then used to build the final file in that partition for that one node. Now, if you have global storage, couldn't you just uh, maybe come up with a different strategy instead of doing all of this work on the backend on hpcc itself could you just push it to storage and just persist those pieces of uh, of data that correspond to different nodes somewhere else that the other node can pick it up when they need it and you don't you avoid creating those spill files you
1: might be able to i mean the case of sort i'm not sure you would actually do it differently but um yeah, there may be some operations that you might do differently. And um, there are also reasons why you might not do it differently. So for, um, so first of all, the possible example and then why you might not. So say you're reading a data file and you then need to distribute it, maybe not with a sort, but just distribute it to different nodes. So you want to then do processing, grouped processing on that. Um, you could, instead of reading the file parts locally and then sending them over the network, you could read all the file parts locally and filter out only the records you're interested in. Um, Now, you might not actually want to do that. One reason is cost that each time you access the data file you pay. I mean, it's a tiny amount, but if you're reading it 100 times more, then that's gonna go up. the other reason is time that the even if it's got good caching, the fact that you'll be reading it from a hundred places rather than one is going to put extra load on that storage server. Um, so I think there are definitely places and probably key joins or other things may be places where the fact that you can go directly to the file rather than having to go indirectly will speed things up. Um, And similarly, if you've got complicated systems where you've got multiple um, uh, Dali's set up like a production or multiple production systems and you're trying to read data from one on another, then you don't have to go indirectly, you can just go directly to the data. Now, saying you can do that, uh, that's in my head rather than in practice at the moment. So that's one of the areas that we need to keep working on is, okay, how do we get it so that that all works seamlessly behind the scenes?
0: It amazes me always uh, how many considerations need to be taken into account when you are trying to design or redesign an, a very complex and, and large-scale system, right? Uh, yes. Sometimes, uh, yeah, a small tweaks here and there can produce vastly different results, good or bad, <laughs> you know, yep. how you touch them. Yes. So, but but tell me more. So this is this opens another set of questions in my mind, which is all of the um, aspects around index files. So how will they work?
1: Um, in some ways, that's a good question. So, well, they do just work at the moment. So we we had, as the system stands, they do just work. Now, I've been working on storing all the data in blob file formats, and for that, they don't quite just work because when you're creating a blob, generally you have to do it. Or just appending data to the output but most of the systems allow you to output it in chunks um, but you can't go back and change some of the data and the way we built indexes there were a couple of different areas one was the header on the front of the file gave you information about what was in it but that's no good if you can't go back and change it um, and the other thing is where you have blob fields within your indexes the way they were written required you to go back so we've I, had to, I, yeah I, yeah i apologize i was smiling a little bit because it
0: reminded me of the log structure merge trees in cassandra right where they assume that they can only write sequentially over time yeah and everything is an overlay of the previous thing
1: yeah so, so i mean Our indexes aren't dynamically updated, so we don't have a lot of the problems that you would have, say, in a MySQL database if you were implementing that. Um, But there were a few issues. So those have been changed in 7.8 as well, so that you can now build indexes that don't require backpatching. I guess the other question. Then about index is is to do with how they're used so if you if you've got um, our index store format is pretty old so it is probably 20 years plus the basic code I, I wouldn't say old. I would say trusted <laughs> 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 okay <laughs> okay uh, our index Code is, shall I say, mature. <laughs> um, it works and it works pretty well for what we use it for. But um, if you're storing your indexes on blobs, the fact that we typically read 8K at a time doesn't fit so well with the latency times that you'd expect reading data from blob formats. And it may even cause problems with. Um, data stored on faster disks connected I mean so one of once we've got the system that can really work well with blob data and with all the different kinds of connected disks and uh, ephemeral disks and things like that we need to actually do some benchmarking and testing to see okay if you're heavily using indexes what works so I mean, one possibility is we could read more than 8K at a time. That would mean you're less likely to need to read more data, but you're probably also reading data that you're going to throw away more. Um, Our current index format needs to decompress the pages before you process them. It'd be much better if we had a format. And it's something we've talked about lots of times in the past. Having a format that you don't need to decompress first, you can actually process in place. Um, and similarly, modern systems often use column storage, so they store all the different columns together. This could be a go- good opportunity to go back and revisit that. So I think one of the th- good things about moving to the cloud is it does pose lots of questions and sometimes that can challenge the way that you're doing things already and as you say for the sort you might think oh well, what happens if you do this similarly for index reads you might think well this works but what would make it work really well and I'm sure out of that there are going to be some good changes to the functionality of the system as well as just getting it onto the cloud. But it doesn't the cloud, um, um, may, and maybe this is my
0: naive view of it, but doesn't it uh, reduce or, or eliminate some of the constraints that you used to have when you thought about physical systems? Because when you bought a computer uh, to ma- use it as a node, you would buy a computer that comes with a certain amount of uh, RAM a certain amount of storage and um, a number of CPU cores, and those all come together and you have them, you use them or not. Um, So in the cloud, you can pretty much provision each one of these in semi independently. So uh, I think, but in my naive thinking, it gives you more freedom, right? To design
1: things the way you want them. Yeah, it can, and you don't have any restrictions as long as you've got an infinite budget and... Oh, good point, okay.
0: <laughs> that is, optimize the <laughs> cost, yes.
1: So if you're paying, then I've got no problems at all. But, yes, um, yes, you are absolutely often, right. Often, I think with the cloud, it probably is down to a trade-off between performance and how much is it gonna cost. So that's definitely a trade-off on where you store your data. If you didn't care about the cost, you wouldn't use the blob storage. Um, and similarly, with the characteristics of the nodes that you use for Thor. Um, but you're right, it does give you flexibility. So, for instance, if you're doing some machine learning and want GPUs to handle that processing, then the cloud does enable you to just use GPUs on that workload. And we, um, I think by version 8, we will have it set up so that you can configure a system to say, okay, this is a Thor that you use if you're doing work that requires GPUs and um, things like that. So it, it does give lots of flexibility. Oh, wow, now you, oh, I think
0: you opened my eyes. So you could say, um, I have this work unit, since we are going to be spawning Thor's dynamically, you could say, well, this work unit requires GPUs. Let's spawn a version of Thor that has GPUs built in. And we pay only for that version of nodes, in this particular work unit, for this instance of Thor, the next work unit might not require that, so it will spawn in version, normal version. Some work units might require more RAM. Some. Are you thinking in this uh, along these lines?
1: Yeah, definitely on the GPU characteristics, um, and the same thing would go for the RAM as well. Um, so Kubernetes has got the idea of node pools, so you can say, okay, I've got this type, say. A fairly lightweight node, which might be useful for running things like ECL agent um, or some other processes that don't require much. Then you could have a no pool of units that have lots of memory, which might be useful for DALI and Thor, and you might have others that have got GPUs. And then you can lay you can use labels on the nodes and uh, restrictions on how all the things get allocated to tie those together. So that yeah, I think you should be able to do exactly what you want. Wow. Now, maybe not maybe not full flexibility in the first version, but I think the capabilities are there and we should be able to build on them.
0: So um I know that by 7824, which is the current version we have, um, Test system, right? A, uh, a version that can allow you to do some testing, but it's not too meant. It's not meant to be uh, fully production ready. So, what's what's the full production ready version for these capabilities? Is it going to be seven ten or eight zero? What what do you think? Uh...
1: Well, I think seven ten is coming out in two weeks' time or so. So, not <laughs> <Probably. laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I ho- so we've got persistent, some form of persistence in 7.8, 7.10, I think it would be good if you could actually store your data in blobs, uh, probably just on Azure in the first place, but uh, we'll probably put AWS in as an incremental point release to 7.10. Um, there's quite a lot of underlying work that needs to happen to be able to really flexibly, flexibly support the different kinds of file storage. So you may, it could be that you have a thought where some of the files you want to build, go on block storage, others go on faster storage. Others go on SSDs, partly depending on how they're then going to be used. So if they're going to be used by Roxy, then you may want it stored one place and not on block. So to provide that flexibility that's going to require some work um, so I'd expect that to come in 712 and I think 712 you should be seeing most of the play- pieces in place um, I, and they'll be suitable for getting a system up testing it and really pushing it but probably not going to production and I think our plan is for version 8 to be kind of the first one we consider is really worth going to production in. So now the
0: critical question. So are we going to call it version 8, or is it going to be HPCC XP? (laughs) I'm just kidding, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Version one, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, this was very good, I, Gavin. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So plenty of things coming. And as, well, there are some things already available now. Plenty of things coming down the road, and certainly a myriad of considerations that need to be made. I, uh, I can imagine uh, some of those um, um, off-site meetings that your team has. Uh, how they 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 go over all of these, right? Brainstorming and trying to come up with the best strategies.
1: Yeah, not so many off sites at the moment, though, unfortunately.
0: Uh, I know, I know, I know. At, at some point, yeah. Unfortunately, the the COVID times are, are really weird times for everyone. Yeah. 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 Great. Thank you very much, Gavin. This, uh, Gavin, this was great, and um, and I'm sure we will be talking again soon.
1: Thank okay, you. Okay. Thank you. Great.